Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. Take out your Bibles, and if you turn to the 27th chapter of Matthew's Gospel, we have the fourth saying that Jesus utters from the cross. And I will tell you in advance, give you a little forewarning, you you may want to locate the box of tissues that's somewhere near you on the end of the aisle for today's message. Because this fourth statement from the cross is the one that matters most to you and me. Because it comes in the form of a question. Jesus makes a statement that is actually a question to his Father God. As we've journeyed through these first three we can see the Lord's plan of salvation clearly unfold. We we know that God has a plan for our lives. That the whole purpose of these statements is to draw us to the significance of the cross. And as we turn our attention, as we leave these statements that kind of show us some examples... Mary, certainly an example of someone who needed a savior. The two thieves on the cross showing us the decision that each one of us must ultimately make. Will you be like thief one or like thief two? Will you believe? Will you receive? Will you be redeemed? Or will you pass on the offer of grace? As we come to the fourth one, begins with just simply one verse, it ends with the same verse. Matthew 27, verse 46, Then about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eloi, Lama, Sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The answer to that question is me, it's you. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you that you sent your son Jesus to this wretched earth to bear upon him the sins of the entire world that the world through him might be saved. 
Lord, speak to the hearts of your people today. Speak to me today. Remind me of the glorious cost of our salvation. Lord, help us to see the sacrifice that was made. Lord, I pray that there's not one person that will hear this message ever, whether it's today or tomorrow, in this room, online, that would not ponder this question and give an answer that is their own life, the reason as you came to seek and save that which is lost. Bless your word, we pray. Instruct us in Jesus' name. Amen. On May 21st of 1946, a physicist, Dr. Louis Slotten, was working in a laboratory in Los Alamos, New Mexico, on what was then called the Demon Core. They were about to produce the hydrogen bomb. And in doing so, they had no idea what the correct distance between two pieces of fissile material would be. And so they performed an experiment called tickling the dragon's tail, where they'd take two beryllium spheres with a small amount of plutonium attached to one, and they literally would manipulate them with a screwdriver until they'd get close to a critical mass. And they'd done this dozens of times. Two unremarkable hunks of metal. Beryllium itself is not like gold or silver. Looks more like lead. But as Dr. Slotten was working with those two pieces of beryllium with that little tiny chunk of plutonium, just a little nub, as he wedged the screwdriver between them and would turn it sideways and allow them to come together. What was about to happen was a chain reaction. That chain reaction, if it continued, would create a nuclear explosion. On that day, he slipped. He actually dropped the screwdriver. Those two spheres touched instantaneously. Without thought for his own life, without ducking behind a lead wall that was available just a few feet away, without thinking of himself, he grabbed both the spheres with his bare hands and pulled them apart thus instantaneously stopping what would have been a nuclear chain reaction. The part of the story that's important to you and to me today is he was not alone in that lab. There were seven other scientists in that laboratory in various parts of the lab doing other things. And as he grabbed those two spheres and pulled them apart, he himself received a lethal dose of radiation. 
But not thinking of himself, he simply said to them, please stay where you are. And he then proceeded to draw on a chalkboard the relative distances between where that moment of radioactivity had occurred and every single person in the room. He then told them to leave the room. And as they waited out on a dirt road to be transferred to a hospital, he stood apart from them and he said this, you will come through all right, but there is absolutely no chance for me. I will die from this. That, in a very minuscule way, would happen about nine days later. As Dr. Slotin died a very horrible death from radiation poisoning. And in the very same way, just as the doctor permitted himself to be completely irradiated, so Jesus took on the cross for you a lethal dose of the power of sin. He put himself between you and his father's wrath. Your sin should take your life, but instead Jesus let it take his. He did exactly what Dr. Slotin had done. He endured a lethal dose for you. You may say, well, that's a dramatization. No, it's literally what happened. You see, Dr. Slotin could have saved himself. Had he ducked behind the lead shield, there was a tunnel directly out of the room. He could have escaped with a minor dosage of radiation. And he could have lived. And in the same way, no one forced Jesus to die on Calvary's cross for your sin. Jesus elected, because of his great love, wherein he has loved us, to give his life in our place. He chose to mark down your life. He's known you since before you were born. He's known every, every single detail of your life. And he chose to die in your place. And so as we look at this passage, the first thing that we see is the darkness of sin. If you read the rest of the story, you'll find that a supernatural darkness had descended over the land during that time from about 12 noon to 3 p.m. For the Jewish people, the day began at 6. So for three hours, God shielded the world from seeing what was transpiring on the cross. 
the pain of the suffering of his son, the horror and the ugliness of what your sin looks like to God, what my sin looks like to God. Sometimes we look at sin and we almost laugh at it. It's like it's not that big a deal. Well, look at it this way. Your sin was lethal to the Son of God. Your sin literally took Jesus' life. His humanness died an uncalculable death on the cross because of your sin. He didn't die from Roman nails. He didn't die from a beating. He didn't die from a crown of thorns. He didn't die an emotional death because he'd been mocked. He died because he took a lethal dose of sin for you. Sometimes we look at the cross, we wear it around our necks, and it almost becomes flippant to us. That cross represents the place where the creator of heaven and earth, your creator, the one who fabricated you, stepped out of eternity and into time and grabbed hold of the mass of humanity's sin and tore it apart and allowed it to infect him. It settled in in his soul. So great that the father had to turn his eyes for the first time in eternity away from his own son. God the father could not look on his son Jesus because of the lethal dose of your sin that Jesus took. And the reason I'm using the language I'm using is to personalize it for you and for me. Make no mistake, were there one of us on this planet? One. Jesus would have gone to that cross. Were you the only one left? Jesus would have gone to that cross. For you, he died. But he had to die in your place. You could not bear that lethal dose yourself. That's the problem that we face as human beings. You have no capacity to absorb that lethal dose of sin and survive it. It will send you to an eternity in hell. Jesus, with his own life, the creator, stood between you and me and the wrath of God that day and allowed that to be poured out upon him. I can only imagine how these words must have echoed through eternity. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. We have the privilege of looking back. But from Jesus' perspective, he had never been separated from his father. 
He had never known what it was like to not have fellowship with his father. But so heavy was that dose of sin's radiation. His father had no choice but to turn away from his son. Now, I don't know how many of you have sons, and we could certainly substitute daughters. You could take any close parental relationship or spousal, you could take a deep relationship almost of any kind. But for sake of illustration, I have two sons. I cannot think of anything in the entire universe that either of my two sons would do that would cause me to turn away from them ever. I can't think of it. It's not possible as a father. I don't know what it is. What could my boys do If you've ever wondered how horrific your sin looks from heaven's perspective, think on that for a moment. So horrific, so painful, so awful is the stain of sin that the most wonderful relationship in the universe, the closest relationship in the universe was torn asunder for three hours because of your sin. Both had infinite capacity to endure it. Both had the ability to recognize that it was not Jesus who had committed those things. The wages of sin is death. The wrath of God abides on those who do not repent. And it's so horrific that this is the result of it. This is what it cost for me to be redeemed, for you to be redeemed. There was a cry after this darkness that had descended on the land. And it's a direct quotation of David's psalm written a thousand years earlier. It comes from Psalm 22. And he's quoting in Hebrew. He actually probably spoke it in Aramaic. So in Hebrew it would be Eli. Eli. He says Eloi, which is Paleo-Hebrew. Aramaic. This reveals the reality that you and I need to consider. The darkness, I think, was a picture of the curse. You and I, without Christ, are cursed. Us without redemption. We're cursed. You can have everything this world has to offer and still be facing the curse of eternal damnation. And that is so unthinkable to God. I want you to dwell on this for a moment. That is so unthinkable to God 
that you would face an eternity without him, that he killed his own son to make it possible for you to go to heaven. Now, if that doesn't rattle your cage, I don't know what passage in the Bible will. This is God saying, you matter so much to me. Fill in your own name. I matter so much to God that God turned his back on his own son and allowed his own son to receive the just penalty of your sins. Allowed his son to be tortured and murdered in your place as an act of love to tell you how much he loves you. Sometimes when I ponder this passage, I can't actually speak. I'm doing a little better than normal today. I think as a father, I understand it a little bit. But I think all of us in a human sense can understand what's going on here. The reality is, all of us, We're part of that lethal dose of sin. For all have sinned, amen? Romans 3.23, all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. So whether you think you're a good person or not, I know a lot of people think they're going to heaven because they're a good person. Let me be the first to inform you, you're not going to heaven because you're a good person. You're going to heaven because you have believed on the only begotten Son of God, and that's the only reason you're going to heaven. Because your sin killed Jesus. Jesus died in your place. The wages of sin is death. Somebody had to die. And thank you, Jesus, it was him, not me. It was him. Christ died for me. He went to the cross for me. He lived a sinless life. I have sinned all my life. And you're saying, well, you're a pastor. Yeah, and pastors still have bad attitudes occasionally. <laughs> pastors still think some pretty strange things that don't honor God. If that shocks you, oh well. (laughs) Amen? Just saying, we're all in it together. If you ain't in, you're out. And if you're out, you're in a different club, and we ain't in that club. Amen? We're in it together. Jesus died because of me. You have to think this through personally. This is not some ethereal thing. This is Christ on a cross because you're a sinner. This is the king of glory giving his life in your place because you deserve to die. That's why the cry. God, why? Because Jeff can't go to heaven unless you die, son. 
Every single soul on the planet is doomed unless you die, son. Unless somebody pays the price, they will all die, son. Think of that. Think of that. Think of what God is saying to his son and what the son is saying to his father. Why? Because it's the only way. Somebody's got to tear apart those beryllium spheres of sin. Someone has to take the lethal dose because I can't overlook it. Sometimes we wrongly, theologically think that God overlooks our sin. He doesn't. The debt of your sin was paid by Christ on the cross. He has never overlooked your sin. Your sin was paid in full. The debt was cleaned up at the cross of Christ. Galatians 3.22 says, But the scripture has shut up everyone under sin, so that the promise by faith in Christ Jesus might be given to those who believe. You're not getting to heaven because you're good. You're not getting to heaven because of the works that you've done. You're not getting to heaven because you belong to a Bible-teaching church. You're not getting to heaven because you memorize Scripture. You're not getting to heaven because your mama loves Jesus. You're getting to heaven because you have believed on the only begotten Son of God, and there is no other way. Because he paid the price. You're saying, yes, I agree, my sin was awful, my sin was evil, my sin was lethal, and someone had to die for it, and my King Jesus died for my sin. Church, don't skim over this passage. Don't say, oh, well, that's nice. Look at it and insert your own name as the answer. Why have you forsaken me? Problem is, none of us can pass the test. By the works of the flesh is no one justified. My debt's not cleared up because I all of a sudden get it right. I've had people come to me, well, you know, I kind of lived for a while. I wasn't really all that good a person, but then I really got it together. Let me just tell you, you didn't get it that together. You're not all together still. As much as you think you're together, you're so far from God that Jesus had to die on the cross because you were that far. That's who you are. That's who you will always be. We will always be in debt to King Jesus. I'm not going to get to heaven and go, Man, Jesus, aren't you so proud of me? Look what I did for you. 
I believe the first millennia in heaven were just going to be going, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord Jesus. I should have never gotten here. But you took the weight of my sin on yourself. You died in my place. Man. I don't even know how many times I've taught this passage. But I know it affects me still. It shakes me to the core. Because I know that God cannot and will not tolerate sin in his presence. And I know who I am. And on my best day, I'm still in agreement with the Apostle Paul. Call me the chief of sinners. Now I'm grateful for that redemptive work. I'm grateful for sanctification. I certainly don't sin the way I used to. But even to this day, those little things creep into our minds and we know they don't belong there. We have those moments of weakness. We look at those things that we still desire. The flesh is still raging and desires to be satiated. Thank God there was nothing held back on the cross. Because there's no want in your salvation. It is complete. Whom the Son has made free is free. Say it, church. Indeed, amen? Absolutely. You're not partially saved. You don't need to save yourself. You're not helping God save you. If you are saved, you're saved by the blood of the Lamb, and that's it. Amen? Now, you should be sanctified. That is way different than being saved. That means that stuff that is in you, that shouldn't be in you, should become a whole lot less frequent. It should be of lesser degree. But you are saved because Jesus took a lethal dose of sin on your behalf. Cleared up your debt. These words reveal the reason It's interesting why Jesus asked, have you forsaken me? We use a single word. But in the original language, it was not a single word. It was actually three words. It means to leave. It means to abandon downward. In other words, it suggests defeat. And in. That refers to the place. So when you forsake someone, you leave them in a downward place where that thing happened. So, for instance, on the battlefield, someone's wounded and you leave them on the battlefield. You see a crime being committed, a, children, a child is being abducted, 
and you leave them in the hands of the abductor. My God, my God, why have you left me down here in the midst of the thing that's killing me? Does it make a little more sense to you now? The cry is, God, I'm not in heaven. I'm here on earth. And I'm bearing this because I'm here. Why are you leaving down, me down here in this mess? It's revealed. It's telling us why. There was a purpose to this. God wasn't being cruel. He was being loving and kind. Infinitely kind. What could cause a father to do that to his son? There has to be some purpose beyond our, our ability to actually think about it or rationalize it. The why is a very good question. Why, God? Well, because Jeff will perish eternally. Son, you'll come back here because you are holy. Even as you absorb all that sin, and I have to punish it, I have to destroy that sin. You have to bear the price of it. You, son, will remain holy through the process because you never sinned. But Jeff, his sin remains. And unless you defeat his sin and die his death, he will perish eternally. That's why, son, you have to stay on the cross. That's why you have to take your last breath. Because without your last breath, Jesus, Jeff has no chance of an eternal life with us. He can't save himself. He will die from the effects of his own sin. And it will kill him eternally. And so that fellowship is broken. And sometimes when we skip over this, we forget the horrible cost. Galatians chapter 3 reminds us that Jesus Christ became, interesting the way Paul the Apostle phrases this, he literally says that Christ became, in other words, something he wasn't, wasn't, he became, because he has no capacity to sin, He's never engaged in sin. He doesn't even know what sin is about in that sense because he can't be tempted. He's God. He literally became something he wasn't or couldn't become for me. He became sin for us. Church, that should cause you to fall so deeply in love with Jesus that you don't have words to express it. He became for you the sacrifice for your sin because you couldn't do it yourself. You were lost without him. 
And so he did it for you. For me. Paul would write in Romans chapter 6, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Jesus was cursed so that we could be set free. He was the one who released me from what rightly should have taken my eternal life. That's why sometimes it's so beneficial to picture that scapegoat that Paul talks about there in 2 Corinthians 5, but is found in the book of Leviticus. As a priest would grab this goat that becomes the bearer of the sins of the children of Israel, and he puts his hands on the head of the goat, and he begins to confess all of the sins of Israel. And he names them one after another. And I don't know how long that took, but I'm guessing it wasn't like two minutes. And so if you really want to understand this principle, then the next time you're tempted to gloss over this passage, start naming your own sins that you've been forgiven of. Do you know the Bible says evil thoughts are sin? Evil thoughts are sin. So every evil thought that you ever have, past, present, and future, is sin. Needs to be completely paid for. Not kind of most of them. Not all of them except when you're in righteous indignation. Right? I don't want to shoot anybody's you know, sacred cow right now, but I've heard an awful lot of Christians go, well, I just had righteous indignation. No, it was just regular indignation, and it was sin. There was nothing righteous about it. I can tell by the way you were phrasing it. Evil thoughts. Some are easy. Fornication, thievery, murder. We don't have too much problem naming those. It's like, yeah, that's, that's a problem. God allowed his own son to die because of those things. But it's so much deeper than that, church. That adultery that Jesus says begins in the heart, the mind, the deeds of coveting, just general old not-so-nice wickedness. Then the ones that we don't ever talk about in church, gluttony, lying, gossip, bitterness, strife, hatred, drunkenness, a debased mind. So for those of you that think it's okay to go toke up, sorry, your mind is being debased by that. It's being put into another place that it not normally is. It's wrong. It's sin. So if I'm jacking up your lifestyle, sorry. You need to repent of that and stop doing it. It's sin. It's not okay with God. Jesus was murdered on the cross for that. He died a horrific death. It took way more than nine days in an eternal sense. He died on Calvary's cross. 
That's why the Apostle Paul said, what then? Should we go on sinning that grace might abound? You know, well, we can just show off God's grace by being great sinners. He answered his own question. He said, heaven forbid. Why? Because Christ died for the ungodly. These words reveal the extent of God's love. Jesus paying the price for all of that evil. We sang a couple of hymns this morning. There's another one that I'm reminded of. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit when we do not carry everything. All of our faults, all of our failures, all of our inclinations to God in prayer. We have a friend. Jesus did it willingly, knowingly, purposefully, willfully. That's the reason he went to that cross. God was satisfied in this. And as we'll see with the next statement, to tell us die, it is finished. Pastor Chet will cover this. God was satisfied. But the question remains what about you? What about me? For those of us who know the Lord, as the worship team comes back out, for those of us who know the Lord, then these words are absolutely, excruciatingly wonderful words. Amen? Amen. Because the answer is me. The answer is me. Why? Because I have a friend in Jesus now. I have a Savior who loves me. I have a King eternal. I have a mansion in heaven not made with hands. I have the forgiveness of all of my sin, not most of my sin, but all of my sin. I have eternal life. I will have joy in the presence of the Lord. So for me, the answer is an affirmative. Why? Because I need Jesus. Amen? Would you stand? I've answered that question. But I don't know about all of you. I know about many, if not most of you. But I don't know about all of you. And so I want to give all of you the opportunity to say yes to that offer of grace. Jesus bore the price of your sin on Calvary's cross. But you have to acknowledge that. It is a free gift, but you have to receive that. And so I'm just going to ask that we all bow our heads right now.
If you're here and you know the Lord personally, please be praying. But if you're saying, Pastor Jeff, I've never invited Christ into my life. I've never said yes to that sacrifice being sufficient for me. If you want to do that, just simply raise your hand where you are right now. Just lift it up and keep it up so I can see it. I want to pray with you. Because if you leave here without Jesus, you leave here with your sin. Jesus wants to take that debt right now and clear it up. And if you know him, praise the Lord. See that hand. But if you don't, and you want to, he's a breath away, he's a prayer away. Church, let's pray. Let's For those of us that know him, let's thank him. For those that raised their hands, this is your time to invite him in. Father, we thank you for the gift of your grace. Lord, we admit that we are all sinners and that you are the only Savior. We thank you that you've forgiven our sin. You took it to that cross and you dealt a death blow to the sting and the stain, to sin and death. And so we pray for those that might be watching online, those that are here today that are right now inviting you in for the first time. We pray that you'd cause us to walk with you and to walk in that marvelous grace. We love you, Lord. We thank you for saving us and forgiving our sin. Thank you that we one day will step out of time and into eternity and directly into your presence because of what happened that day when you absorbed that lethal dose of our sin on Calvary's cross. Thank you for your sacrifice. We give our lives to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.